So you can already tell there's a, a good commonality of like how bourbon and coffee really intersects by knowing the roasters, okay? That means you know the distillers, you know where the beans come from, you, don't right, have you know a, the grain. You don't have an addictive personality at all, do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. If you've listened to our show long enough, you would know that it's me versus Fred and Ryan when it comes to coffee. I'm not much of a coffee drinker, but these guys, they can't live without it. But I'm sure there's lots of other coffee and bourbon drinkers out there, and you see things like barrel-aged coffee. And a lot of us, we immediately gravitate towards it. I mean, how could you not? We should be barrel aging everything. But there are more correlations between coffee and bourbon that I never knew of. So that's why we invited Brian Beike to be on the show. He's the director of coffee for Quills in Louisville, Kentucky. And he has been all in on coffee and bourbon for a very long time. And in this episode, we scratch an itch to ask all the questions about coffee that we've always wanted to know such as what are the difference in beans from small versus large-scale producers? Talk about that quote-unquote rare coffee scene. What are those buzzwords to watch out for? And of course, Brian gives us a lowdown if barrel aging is a gimmick or not. Well, with that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Drew Martin, who writes me on fredminnick.com. I've got a question for Above the Char. Here's some context to my question. I'm a coffee roaster, and a big piece of my job is tasting, and I experience palate fatigue on a fairly frequent basis, although usually with coffee, it just takes a couple hours to feel like I'm back to normal. With whiskey, my experience is not such a quick palate recovery. A few days ago, my palate was very off and was one of the times I was sure my palate was off. I'm curious how often you experience palate fatigue, and if you have any ideas how to recover. Big fan of yours. Thanks for all you share about whiskey and your content. It's very enjoyable. Well, thank you, Drew. A uh, great question. Palate fatigue is a very real situation. And, you know, when I am at a spirits competition, I can literally have 1,000 tastes in a weekend. Now, that doesn't mean I'm tasting 1,000 unique products. That means I can taste like a product three times uh, or one one time, but or a flight of 12 three times. Like basically it all adds up, but I will have uh, 1,000 to 3,000 tastes. So that'll be hitting my palate that many times. Granted, I'm spitting, but still there's a lot of fatigue there. And one of the ways that I'm able to tell if my palate is off is quite frankly, this is going to make a lot of people laugh, but if your tongue gets a little, if you feel your your tongue not being as receptive, in some places it could feel like a little numb. Uh, what I'll do is to test that is I'll just take a very basic cracker with no salt on it and see if I can feel it on my tongue. If I can't taste a cracker, if I can't feel it on the tongue, I'm like, I'm done. But uh, that's usually what it comes down to. It, it's the amount of alcohol that's on there. Now that's for that's for me. There are days that I am off, but you know, you're you're a coffee taster, right? So even on a day that you're off because you are professionally tasting coffee on a regular basis, 
you're still going to be better than, you know, 75% of the population. You know, uh, most professional whiskey tasters are the same way. Like they, their palate may be off, but they are still better than most people. Now, what's a way to kind of get through that? What's a way to help it recover? Uh, frankly, water. Water is like hydration is so important to this game. If you're dry, you know, if your body's dry, you know, alcohol takes a lot of dehydrate, you know, dehydrates you very quickly. So if you are not hydrated, you're not going to, you're, you're going to eventually have an off palate. Uh, you got to make sure you're eating well. You know, you got to make sure, you know, you're taking care of like um, the, the things you need to eat, your nutrients, and that will help prevent it. I, I kid you not. Like this is, this sounds very basic, but it, it's true. These are the things that I have done over the years. But there is no substitute for rest. There's absolutely no substitute for rest. And I have noticed that when I have a super off day, it is, it's frustrating. It's because like, I don't feel like I'm off. I don't want to be off, but I can't force myself, right? So I can't force myself. And so I have to just like say, okay, throw in the towel. I'm not tasting, you know? And also there's a lot of like time factors, you know? So if you have, if you have the time, you have time to wait to taste at another time, then that's the best case scenario. That's also why I try to taste three different times on three different days. That way I can make sure that an off palate will not throw off a score. Uh, I hope that long convoluted answer helped you, Drew, but thank you so much for writing. If you want to be like Drew, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button, send me your question, and if I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. 
You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome, everybody. We're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, and who knows, maybe the uh, soon-to-be official coffee podcast of bourbon. Mm-hmm. Wait, no, yeah. official podcast of coffee. Anyway, I haven't had any coffee today. And that's yeah, you don't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee. I know. But you guys, you guys are this, a big coffee. I've been asking for this episode for how many years we've been doing this? And mm-hmm. He's like, there's no correlation. I don't drink coffee, so we don't need to talk coffee, but I think you're... Your eyes have been opened. It's slowly getting there. And don't be wrong. I find myself with an espresso every once in a while. And by the way, do you, do you say espresso or expresso? Espresso. Espresso. See? Not okay. espresso. Well, I'm just saying. I'm not going a... shopping for fashion clothes. <laughs> you see it on on stuff all the time. They're like, how do you say it properly? And I've said espresso. At least I, at least yeah. I thought I was there. I think, you know, when it comes down to it, it's like... Um, in our country, we say a lot of shit wrong, you know? <laughs> and in Kentucky, it's even worse. Oh, like, yeah. You mean like Versailles? Yeah. I mean, Kentucky, it's even worse. So, like, um, yeah, we don't... And then we, you get we, to Bardstown, it's 10 times worse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> we don't like vowels. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's all about where you... Location. But the bottom line is, like, you know, do you like it? And, and people have asked me before, like, um, like, if you had to give up whiskey or coffee, which one would it be? And I'm, I, it's very easy answer for me. I'd give up whiskey if you had to make me choose. Because oh, there's no way. I, I would give up whiskey because I can't live without coffee. Like, I, I've i tried to have a day or two without coffee. My head starts hurting. I breathe differently. I start shaking. I mean, I have, like, an actual addiction to coffee. And people complain about marijuana laws. <laughs> <laughs> I know. it's Well, there's a whole church that's against uh, caffeine. Oh, well, uh, yeah, Mormonism. It's amazing. If you, there's, I think his name's Michael Pollan, and he talk, it's a yeah, yeah. book about plants. And how like they, dilemma or more, uh, yeah, he, I think he did. He dilemma, did that too, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah but uh, like he did a book on plants and how they impact the uh, human history and like they can trace like when because used to you could only drink beer or liquor, you know, was right. the only safe thing to drink, and then once that you know they discovered tea and coffee, it was something they could heat up, drink, and not you know get sick. So coffee was one of those things that helped. Instead of people getting drunk and passing out, they drank coffee and were more productive and started being able to have second shifts. And that's when like the Industrial Revolution kind of happened. So I don't know. I don't know why I had to throw that in there, but well, it's because it, it's a coffee hard, is very important fact. to how we get shit done. I got it. Well, this is already going to be a great episode because if you hadn't noticed by now, we're going to start talking about how coffee and bourbon really have a lot of correlation and influence. Uppers, downers, you know. (laughs) Everything in between. People are doing things like barrel-aged coffee. So we'll talk about all that today. So we figured we need to bring on somebody that knows a thing or two about coffee. So today on the show, we have Brian Beike. He's the director of coffee for Quill's Coffee here in Louisville, Kentucky. The which, best. That's right. Which it's, it, Ryan's a big fan of it. I know he goes out of his way to go to Quill's. Yeah, I drive 15 Ooh. minutes out of my way to go to Quill's. You sound like a grandma. one in my neighborhood. <laughs> yes. Can't wait. Yes. Yeah, I've been to, I'm a coffee snob. My wife and I are, we go travel a lot and there's, there's maybe one place in the whole U.S. that makes as good a coffee as Quills. And that's Black Bear Cafe and Santa Rosa Beach. But Quills is the best. It's like <laughs> the gold go. standard. It's uh it's the one of the best coffees. And that's how I met Brian was uh visiting 
the quills there that used to be in my neighborhood, but they closed. But that's Brian to was wearing not for, not yeah, for to relocate. <laughs> but Brian was wearing a Willet hat, and I was like, "Oh, you, you like Willet? This and that." So we became friends, and yeah. Anyways, Quills is great. He knows his coffee, he knows his bourbon. So this is gonna be a great episode. Awesome. Yeah. So let's go ahead. I already did the introduction, but Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. And Brian, it's of course, but he doesn't know. Brian's also the host of our other podcast, Behind the Pursuit. So that's right. He's definitely hooked in with us. But this that relationship, this relationship came before, way before then. So kind of talk a little bit about sort of how you got into sort of the coffee realm, because I'm sure everybody has a, a way that they find their path in their career. And then I know at some point that led you into bourbon as well. Absolutely. So I feel like there are a lot of coffee drinkers that have similar stories. And with me, it comes down to some experience with a single origin coffee. So I used to work at a civil engineering company. I did QAQC. I did soil analysis. And anyone who is in that sort of workspace knows coffee primarily sucks. You go to the break room, you have terrible coffee, you go about your day, but that's just what you do. And I remember going to another buddy's company before, and he had some French press of some coffee that tasted different. And I said, what's this? And he said, it's from this place in Columbus. I ordered some. It was not the same coffee that I got in, but I started to notice that, hey, when you explore coffee, there's different flavors that come out. For me, it was a very fruity coffee profile. And from there, it kind of just went down the rabbit hole, buying different coffees. And prior to working in coffee, sort of like a lot of people are when it comes to whiskey, just an enthusiast. So I was a home brewer, meaning I buy coffees from all over the place. I brew them all up and I'm trying to figure out what they all taste like. What are the roasters doing? What are the roast profiles from all different places across the U.S.? It got to the point where, you know, some years I'd have maybe 500, 600 coffees come through the door just trying different coffees and through that building relationships with roasters, building relationships with different stores all across the U S and uh, abroad as well. And just starting to build my palate and the things that I liked and how some people would have the same coffee and it tastes a little bit different and kind of exploring that. And so at that time, uh, right before I started working in coffee, we were living down in Dallas, Texas. I was kind of going over to a coffee roastery every so often, tasting coffees with them. We came back to Louisville to be closer to family. We landed at Quill's Coffee. So professionally, that's what I've been doing for about this last six years. So you can already tell there's a a good commonality of like how bourbon and coffee really intersects by knowing the roasters, okay? That means you know the distillers, you know where the beans come from, you, don't right, have you know an, the grain. You don't like, have an addictive personality at all, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's. Not, that's not, <laughs> uh, you weren't uh, supposed uh, to bring that up. Uh, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. My wife's not listening to this. Is she she would disagree. It's up to you. That's right. <laughs> what are yeah, you doing? I'm, I don't know. Hobbyist, right? That's yeah. that's a hobbyist. So you hop around some things, right? I do have a question for you though, because as somebody that is not a big coffee drinker, I know the guys beside me. They they love their coffee and they need it every single day. I have, I guess, natural caffeine that gets me through, but. For somebody like me that goes and has like a cup or two of coffee or has something and then you're off the wall for three hours, like, is it something that like when you're getting into this, that, were you just like constantly on this adrenaline kick of, of having a, a caffeine boost or is it just something that you naturally are able to kind of digest? I think naturally I'm more like you. I think I have a natural ener energy that, you know, just gets me through generally and caffeine doesn't seem to affect me all that much. I, it's not from playing video games and drinking Mountain Dew when I was younger. I didn't do that all that much. I think just adding coffee, it just went alongside of that. And I noticed that too, because there are days where I taste a lot of coffees during the day, 
and I don't really feel it. The only thing that still will get me jittery is if I drink a cup of cold brew. For some reason, a cup of cold brew just gets me wired, but I can have back-to-back shots of espresso or taste coffees all day long, and it doesn't really affect me. So yeah, I think building up a tolerance is, is important for folks who are not that into it. But yeah, to, to me, I don't think I, I don't know. They just, yeah, I didn't, didn't know if you're drinking day. coffees all day. Cause I'm like Kenny, if I have, I, I can do one to two espressos or one cup, but after that, I start to get like anxious and jittery, sweaty and this wow. and that. And it's like, I can imagine, you know, with blending and drinking whiskey, you're having to like, or tasting whiskey, you're spitting. I'm like, do you do the same thing with coffee? Like, is it yeah, like, that's a good too, question. Yeah, you can. A lot of times when people are tasting a lot of samples, they will spit. I don't because I just like drinking coffee. Yesterday was one of those days. I drank coffee from 7 a.m. until 4.30. And I think I just get palate fatigue Is there, like you would with whiskey. Question is, why would you need to be drinking from 7 to 4.30? Is it just part of the job or is it just uh, you were just needed to really... Yes. It was a bad night of sleep the night before? No. It, well, maybe it was. But no, in, in that particular case, there's a lot of things that I look for in my particular role. So... I started off the morning and I have some samples from a producer that we've worked with about eight years in El Salvador. So I roasted some samples and I was trying to figure out if we're going to bring one of these coffees in. So we're tasting through them, trying to analyze what those taste like. And then we'll move to something else. We'll have some of our staff from Indy. They came down. So we set up what's called a cupping, which initially just lets us taste through samples back to back to back to back. And so we led them through that. And then there were just more samples. I was tasting throughout the day in order to figure out how's the roast level. Does it need to be lighter? Does it need to be darker? There's all types of things that we'll look for, and we might get into that a little bit later. But yeah, just different reasons had me brewing up various coffees all throughout the day. I've done one of those cuppings before, and and it is a it's, a, it's fascinating. And there are a lot of similarities in uh, tasting coffee as there is in whiskey. Definitely feel different parts of the tongue get lit up a little bit more but what are you what are you looking for when you are analyzing uh producers beans like what are what are some of those like key points that you're looking for yeah there's a lot of things that we would score for or there's a association called the specialty coffee association they, they kind of set the rules they kind of give us the boundaries that we're that we're kind of looking in but when we're tasting coffee you'll look for acidity you know, that's not necessarily a negative or a positive. You just notice it. Uh, mouthfeel, body, the flavor, the aftertaste, a lot of similar things, like you said, when it comes to gosh, there's, these, these worlds are blending already. Yeah. They really are. So yeah. Can you, can you tell from like the, the raw beans itself before they roasted, like these are going to go this specific way on a profile or this or that, or is it you have to like get in there and roast everything to find out? Yeah. I mainly get in and roast that, but there are things that you can visually tell. Usually they grade coffee. And so they'll score higher and thus they'll sell for higher usually if they're a better grade of coffee. And you can see that visually based on, you know, percentage of maybe it has defects or it doesn't. You can see that in the raw green coffee. I say green coffee because when coffee comes to us, it is in a raw, green, unroasted form. And so we have to take it from that stage and make it into the roasted coffee that everyone kind of sees around in bags or on cafe shelves. And what is the grade? Uh, what is, is it size? Is it moisture? What is it that causes the grade? Yeah. Different origins do different things. So sometimes it's the size of the bean density of the bean. Uh, it, again, just the lack of defects with that. So a lot of that stems back to, to where things take place at origin and each origin functions a little bit different, but primarily coffee 
is grown on a tree. This is when I'm talking with coffee people, sometimes this is mind blowing to them. So whiskey folks, maybe it's the same, but coffee is grown on a tree the same way that apples would be grown on a tree in the same way that apples, there are different varieties of apples and they all taste different. That's a good kind of uh, similarity I like to point out when it comes to coffee. And so different trees grow better or different in different countries at different elevations. And so what they'll do is they'll pull the fruit of that coffee off and inside the fruit are the seeds or what we call the coffee beans. And so they'll go through some sort of processing to get that dried, to get it you know, into that raw green form that we'll receive there. And so it'll go through sorters again, based on size, based on density, any of those things to try and get rid of sticks, rocks, other things that kind of come up while they're picking those. Sometimes cocaine gets mixed in there. <laughs> a little bit. Just a little, a little bit. Double, hy- little. double hyper. So, so are you working with farmers directly or is there like a broker that kind of works on behalf? Is there like a middleman that works on the behalf of the farmers? Yeah. Every, you mean like a distributor? Right. right. Yeah. Okay. Is there a three tier in the <laughs> coffee? <laughs> yeah. Every coffee roastery works a little bit different and we have a mix of those. So we have some partnerships of places that we do work directly with and then we have some that we do go through importers. So importers are handy in a lot of ways because they can buy larger volumes than a lot of roasters can buy on their own. And they have more infrastructure, so they have more people on the ground in various countries being able to go to different farmers or maybe give some resources to countries to say, hey, let's do, for example, in Colombia. They'll do something like Best of Cauca. It's one specific region in Colombia, and producers can come and they'll pull their coffees together that the sum of their parts might actually score better than if they had their lots individually. So collectively they can get paid a little bit more than they would have if they just brought their lot exclusively as it is. So it's like a co-op, you know, mm-hmm. for farmers, mm-hmm. right? And again, there's a lot of politics that come with it too. And the, you know, some of that stuff I, I don't exactly know the answer to, and it's different country to country, but the politics in Africa, a little bit different than Colombia or Guatemala or something like that. And in some of the larger places like Vietnam too, you know, that's their stuff goes into Folgers, you know, like right. it's, it's like you have like, uh, you know, you would be like craft beer in, and, um, what, what is the, what is the difference between say the, uh, the beans that you are able to get in what Starbucks gets or Maxwell house or Folgers or something like sure. that? Sure. And it's hard for me to speak on Starbucks because I imagine they buy a little bit across what I'm going to call the pyramid. But if you look at it as a pyramid, specialty coffee, which is what Quills would fall into, is basically buying at the top 10% of all coffee production. And so then there's scores of coffee that continue to go lower. And, you know, that's just bulk production that will go, I would assume, into your Maxwell House or something like that. Commodity grade is what they call that. And we go into what's called the specialty grade. So there's a little bit of a premium to the farmers for producing things a little bit with a little bit more quality, a little bit more care. And it's interesting actually in this current time because it's playing out a little different. The As it would, I, I guess, trade on the stock exchange, they call it the C market price. The C market price is kind of the base level of how much coffee would be paid out to producers. Uh, it got to a point a couple of years ago where it was at its all-time lows, below a dollar a pound. And that was not really great for producers but you'd have a lot of larger companies contracting large volumes of coffee at a time because it's such a great point to do that. The premium would maybe go on top of that, but it's such a low baseline. We're at a point now where that C market price is getting higher 
And it's interesting because you would think that's a great thing for the producers making the coffee. However, it's getting closer to the amount of money that they might make otherwise commodity that some of these producers are trying to figure out, do we want to continue to go through the extra steps to get to specialty grade coffee or should we just sell commodity? So we're seeing some producers that you don't see year over year anymore. And a lot of producers that are you know taking out their coffee farms because it's easier to grow something that is another good that produces a lot in their country. Right. So it's interesting. And one of the things that we had talked about before, and it has a very good connection to, to whiskey in general is, is rare coffee, mm-hmm. right? I know you kind of blew my mind one time. You were talking about these special beans that are only a part of, you know, X part of region grown on this side of the hill facing this sort of, you know, way of the... Sounds like a tier six coffee. It kind of does right. a little bit, right? And, and we all know in whiskey that there is this rarity or there is a special kind of thing. I didn't even know that there were like crazy prices that go into it. Kind of right. talk about like how the whole like rare coffee scene works. Absolutely. I'll I'll get started with a little bit uh, of back history. I think this is a good alliteration to kind of explain this. A couple years ago, I did a competition called Coffee in Good Spirits, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a coffee competition, but spirits-based. And so being from Kentucky, I wanted to tie in specifically with whiskey, specifically with, you know, bourbon, rye. And the, the approach that I took with that was when it comes to coffee growing regions, it's really similar to a rickhouse. When it comes to a rickhouse, we generally understand that the higher in the rickhouse, the more potential for more um, complex flavors or higher alcohol, all the things that kind of come from being stored at the top because you have more heat and cool difference. We notice the same thing in terms of the elevation of which coffee is grown. If you go to regions that have high elevation, it's warm during the day, and it's cool at night and the sugars that the coffee tree is, is kind of developing, it, it's it's pulling the nutrients a little bit harder. And so the higher elevation you can go, the more potential for complex flavors. So to me, I feel like that's a, a good way to kind of look at this. And so when it comes to some of these regions, if they have high elevation, they already have good terroir in order to make really high quality coffee. Panama, for example, is one that I would say maybe 20 years ago, I might have that wrong, kind of explored this. There was a competition called Best of Panama, and there was a variety called Geisha. And it, this variety, for lack of better explanation, it's one of these varieties that if you over-fertilize it, it'll probably die. If you overwater it, it'll probably die. But if you under, it'll probably die. You just need to kind of let it do its its thing. It's kind of a, it's kind of particular. But it has the potential in the region the type of variety that it is to have really good cup quality. And people would start submitting these coffees to the best of Panama and it would just outperform everything else in the competition. So people were trying to get these seeds to replant in various places. And again, long story short, what happens in those particular instances are that people driven by hype or driven by wanting to find the best flavor profile in a cup will continue to pay more and more and more. And we're seeing now these crazy records for selling these coffees on the auction. So when they do the best of Panama auctions, they'll just have bids for these lots. And it's gotten to the point in the last couple of years where people will pay over $1,000 per pound green for these coffees, which is pretty crazy considering that the commodity price is around 250 
Oh gosh, so, two dollars yeah. and fifty cents, not two hundred and fifty dollars. So what's that? Put it in like a, a bag or a cup at somebody's hand at that. I point? mean, that's a hundred dollar cup of coffee in some places. I don't know. Well, it's more ounces than a pour of Pappy. You know, one <laughs> yeah. ounce. Right. So, um, at least you get so, like and, what was a cup of coffee? I kind of wanted six now, to eight though. ounces. Yeah. You know, yeah, eight ounces, eight ounces twelve ounces, okay. something like that. So again, not everything is to that specific extreme, but kind of where we are in whiskey when we're talking about single barrels or maybe even specifically when we talk about bottled and bond products and people will talk about that snapshot in time i feel like fred talks about this a lot too and when you're talking about bottles you'll talk about where you were when that was put in and those you know you had that tie-in back to to what you're tasting it's similar with coffee you know you're getting these snapshots of of coffees that were grown in one specific region one specific season and one particular variety in some cases. Now, a lot of the producers, they'll they'll plant a lot of different trees, and so they'll pull a lot of different coffee cherries off. But as getting into what you're talking about with the higher prices, sometimes they'll, they'll isolate out and they'll say, no, it'll take a little bit more work, but we'll take only Bourbon, which a lot of people might see that on a bag and they say, hey, look, they got bourbon coffee. <laughs> so it's different. They call it the variety in coffee. They call it Bourbon, but it might be a Tipica. It might be a, a Castillo. There's all these different types of coffees, and when they're isolated, they might have unique flavor profiles that are more like that single barrel expression, where each one will be a little bit different, but maybe they produce multiple things on the same farm. I want to know who is number two. You know, just you know, Fred's one to know, so he can make the number two bigger than the one. Ah, <laughs> it was a cat poop one. <laughs> That's right. Which I have tried once and only once. Well, explain a little bit. What do you mean the cat poop one? I'm sure because people like me that don't drink coffee are just like, what the hell are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of different things that I would say are, are kind of gimmicky. They're, they might not necessarily... Is this the barrel finishes of the coffee world? You know, that's kind of one of them, too. That's kind of one of them, too. But, you know, they might origin from, from good places. Maybe they don't. But when you see Jamaica Blue Mountain, when you see Kona Coffee from Hawaii, I don't want to discredit these as actual places that produce coffee because they are. But generally, those are the kind of buzzwordy things that, you know, correlate to whatever you want in whiskey. But along that, too, would be civet coffee or something like that. You're like, what is that? It's some wild animal and what they would do. I don't know why you would do this, but they talk about the animal eating the fruit, it coming out in the end and that being part of the fermentation process. And thus, then they take it and roast it for your enjoyment. Mm. So to break that down for you, Kenny, (laughs) uh, I hope we need to break it down. The the animal eats it, it's fermenting in the belly and then it shits it out. They sift it out of the shit. And then they make coffee. That's right. And something about the acids or whatever, you know, it's doing these unique things to the coffee, I guess, you know, and on my own, I would not have tried this, but someone came into the roastery, they were doing a, a, a tasting with us, wouldn't let us know what it was that they were tasting and afterwards revealed it and... Oh, that's a low blow, man. It is a low blow. Our former. So what'd you think? Our former, <laughs> yeah, really? It was awful. It was awful. <laughs> Tasted like shit. <laughs> Literally. Liter- yeah. And figuratively. Yeah, yeah. Both. Well, at least they're honest with their their marketing. And I guess that kind of goes in the next thing. You know, you kind of talked about, talk about Kona, and I think everybody like knows that. And it, so everybody. Yeah, you want. see like. But everybody kind of. Arabica beans or, mm-hmm. you oh, know, man. like all the, like, like you said, buzzwords. What's like, what's real, what's not. Yeah, I mean, so we mainly, most of the types, I just mentioned a couple of types of coffees. Uh, Most of those are Arabica in terms of their origin. The other side of that, primarily, it goes to two, Arabica and Robusta. 
Robusta is usually a little bit stronger, but they're less quality in terms of you know what they can produce. And so a lot of commodity grade will be Robusta based coffees. Uh, but in terms of other buzzwords, and again, I don't want to just knock it for knocking sake. There's merits, you know, to digging into them, but you know, fair trade, organic, direct trade in some relationships. Man, what are some other ones? I don't know. Those are a couple. Those are a couple. And it's mainly like a lot of people use that as, as a buying power. Like I buy fair trade organic. And so it, you know, it's the same thing as, you know, you see in the grocery store. And by fair trade organic, meaning that, oh, it's, you know, it's up in the up. Certified. Like it's, it's not blood diamond kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, and it's a certification on the coffee or on other products. You know, other things are fair trade organic too. And so it's like, okay, organic processes and it's fair trade. So that means there's documented no slave labor, all these sorts of things. And again, that's why I'm saying a preface. I'm not saying, hey, let's do slave labor. That sounds great. <laughs> what what I'm saying is for some of these smaller producers, that costs money for them to get those certifications. And they might be following practices that are also in alignment with fair trade, organic processes, direct trade, any of those sorts of things. But if they don't pay for the certifications, they can't be called that. And so, you know, we work with producers directly. And so some of those you know, I would say are better relationships to have than just having it blanketed to fair trade. Because, you know, over the last 10 years, or so I'd say people have come out and say, oh, it's not necessary. Just fair trade doesn't exactly mean that it's fair in the end. So what's the, you know, Kentucky is the bourbon. What's the, where's the region that is coffee, you think, that's like Ooh, the that's best, uh, like representation of that, coffee? That is a good question. Colombia? I would say Colombia or Brazil. They're just really large coffee producing regions. I, this is a dumb question. Where uh, where did the coffee bean originate? Is it Central South America? I mean, here we you know, go. Here chicken and egg. Here, here we you are. Well, asking I know. this question. Cats. Uh, but, I, well, <laughs> you know. Well, you say you say all the beans are arabica or whatever. So I mean, I, I instantly go, okay, it's got. Well, we know somewhere. where corn, right? I mean, right. Well, it's it's a great question. Be, yeah, it, we know where like corn. A, came my from. mind goes to okay, it must come from the Middle East, or you know, and people transplanted yeah. here. You know, people don't realize the potato came from. You know, they think it comes from Ireland. It didn't. It originated in South America, and the settlers brought it over there from when they came to South America. So that's why I was curious. Yeah, somebody's going to listen to this and say, "You, you, your, your stupid director of coffee doesn't know where coffee." <laughs> I, I want to say it's Ethiopia. Okay. So, but I, you know, again, someone's going to correct me. Say, that's not actually where it's from. That's my favorite region, by the way, is Ethiopia. Yeah, I get a lot of coffees from Africa, Ethiopia specifically. When we look at like how people consume coffee now, obviously you've got you've got all the coffee shops, but Keurig just kind of came out of nowhere right. and like dominated the single serve uh, community. I have one, but I still prefer a French roast. But I was curious what there seems to be like a lot of waste in uh, with the use of a Keurig. What's the uh, what's the general consensus in your in your profession of of Keurig? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. 
take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. When we look at like how people consume coffee now, obviously you've got you've got all the coffee shops, but Keurig just kind of came out of nowhere right. and like dominated the single serve uh, community. I have one, but I still prefer a French roast. But I was curious, what there seems to be like a lot of waste in uh, with the use of a Keurig. What's the uh, what's the general consensus in your in your profession of, of Keurig. Yeah. So, I mean, if I take off my Quills hat for a minute, you know, I don't think that I could do a very good job of understanding coffee if I don't go to Starbucks, understand trends, use Nespresso's and, and that. So, you know, a lot of people will come talk. They're like, I don't want to talk to you about that because you think it's stupid because you're only about specialty. You know, again, if I don't know what people are using and how coffees taste on that, I don't do a very good job of that. So, you know, I think Keurig did something really interesting being able to get coffee very quickly because that's one thing people don't want to wait for coffee and they've worked with a lot of people so you can get a lot of different variety but those capsules do produce a lot of waste and if you were to weigh out how much coffee is actually in those and compare that to how much coffee is in a bag of coffee you're paying equivalent if not more for your quote-unquote bag of coffee than you would just go into a local coffee shop getting something ground and certainly more than you would at at a grocery store with some of those options but yeah the capsules are what just produce a lot, a lot of waste. And so I would say in the, in the specialty coffee world, there are some people who use those. They'll serve that because they know they have a buyer for that market. Uh, and sometimes they'll, they'll look into compostable resources and all that stuff. But that's primarily been what, what people's critique is on it, is that it's just wasteful from the capital side of What about the quality things. of the coffee, though, inside? Yeah, I just personally think it's difficult to get a well extracted cup of coffee in 60 seconds. I just don't see how it's really, really possible. You know, if I'm going to be nerdy, so put the Quills hat back on and then also get a little nerdy about it, I bet that the water's not typically high enough to extract properly. It's not having enough contact time to to brew. And it's weird that you could select with the same amount of coffee and say, you know what? I want eight ounces this morning. Or, you know what? I'm going 24 ounces this morning. (laughs) To me, I would always use a little bit more, a little less coffee if that's going to be the case. But, you know, that's one thing that's really nice about dark roasted coffee. What what our grandparents drank, a nice big bowl cup of coffee. You can still get that, whether it's through the roast or, or the origins that have characteristics that are like that. But the darker roasted coffee can one have better shelf stability because you've added roast to the process. So as it ages it still tastes roasty or if it's long enough it still has the inherent flavor characteristics of the coffee but also you know you can under extract it same reason why office coffee tastes you know the way that it does i think most people would use terminology saying it's rich or it's heavy or it's dark when really it's very weak you know i i would equivalent it to something that tastes very rich but is still 86 proof you know thing something like that is what we're looking at when it comes to dark roasted coffee so anyway Kind of off tangent, but that's kind of where I'm at with the Keurig thing. Uh, I think the technology in the Nespresso's are even more fascinating to me because they'll steam the milk to the 
the type of foam and cream or whatever that you want. And my wife, I loves think that's handy. The Nespresso. They're so common in Europe, yeah. and like they're starting to catch, you know, steam here. No pun intended, but. I remember being in Europe like 15, 20 years ago, and they were everywhere, like yeah. people's homes. And we are, why is America typically so far behind the rest of the world when it comes to coffee? Like, I mean, Italy, good Lord, having a cup of coffee or espresso in Italy is like, yeah, it's, it's a like, ritual. It's, you go, it's, you know, it's like every three hours, you know, <laughs> you, go find a, you go find an Italy stand and, you know, uh, po- po- post up. It's like, a little ounce of kombucha to kind of go with it? No, no kombucha. No? Okay. Well, Fred, I, I don't know if you if you realize this, but once something comes to America, we er- it originated from here and we own it. <laughs> and so when we own it, we have we have no... Uh, and we're very we, good at systemizing it <laughs> and selling it. There, you, don't need to, you don't need to rush something that we've already created. So there's no problem with that system. But yeah, I mean, again, that it, you bring up a good point, though. I mean, I have a very narrow focus point, which is specialty coffee market. Louisville, Kentucky, in the U.S. in the you know two thousands, which is very different than historically, you know, in Italy and and the purpose as to which you would drink certain beverages. You know, yeah. if you're going to go in and ask for cappuccino at the wrong time of the day, they're going to kick you out. You know, that's what I hear. So yeah, it's just a little bit different. I think that it's just people's purposes behind it. Yeah, are different. You'd mentioned uh, roasting and like how it impacts or can lead to longer shelf life. Is roasting you know, does it line up with like charring of barrels and toasting, like in the process of coffee? A little bit, a little bit. What I think is a little bit of a disfortune sometimes when it comes to coffee, another hobby, which we're not going to keep talking about. Okay. I'm not into a bunch of different things, but previously I was into chocolate as well. So <laughs> Good Lord, I, love I know. This guy. <laughs> so I just like eating and drinking things. What's wrong with that? So yeah, when it comes to, when it comes to chocolate, when it comes to whiskey, when it comes to wine, you know, the benefit is that all the work that's done gets you a final product. When it comes to coffee, you don't get that. You know, you go to a coffee shop and someone still has to make it for you. When you get to your Keurig in the morning, you still have to make it. And when you buy a bag of coffee, you still have to do something with it. And so there's a little bit of a disadvantage there where we don't necessarily know if it ends up in its final stage, how it was envisioned in the very beginning funny you say that because i've had people give me like really special coffees and they're like you have to brew it within 15 minutes of grinding it or it'll like get too much air and it'll mess up you know and it's just like over my head i can't like i can't like it makes it too difficult i guess for me yeah and there's a lot of things that make it difficult and again if you were wanting to dot all your i's cross all your t's you know i can give people very specific methods to how to extract it properly to what percentage of extraction that you want but again it's it's too messy for the most part you know you want to give people instructions be able to just let them experience it in their own way so it i think that's one of the biggest problems when it comes to specialty coffee is just being too pretentious especially when you know hipsters are just pretentious in general and so being pretentious and then having to say it has to be a certain way and i feel like we're seeing the industry kind of like back back a step up you know we're not we're not just saying hey you have to do pour overs all the time we're like oh no this coffee will taste good on a batch brewer now well it's hard to get customers through if you're doing all pour overs certainly is you know and again one things that we're seeing now uh going back to the thing you were talking about when it comes to pricing of coffees where coffees can't compete on elevation because there's some regions you just can't grow higher they'll mess with processing. And to me, I find this really interesting right now because we're seeing a a, a surge in people experimenting with how they're fermenting it at origin, 
which is really similar to how historically we've either flavored coffee after roasting or how we're finishing whiskey. And so there's this kind of new phase of bringing out interesting flavors to something that maybe wasn't inherent when it was first grown or how it was initially envisioned, but we're all just kind of messing around with everything. So let's talk about... Oh, I was going to say, like, kind of like dialing a still or something like so. You, yeah. you kind of have some sort of... You can kind of influence the product there. During you can the be a stage. master coffee maker at home and pat yourself on the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to get into the the barrel aspect. You know, when uh, 15 years ago, I was writing about uh, about how people were getting barrels and aging coffee in them, and um, there was some pe- there was a debate on like use you age it with, with green bean. You know, when the beans are green or after roasted. So, is that still the case, or do is there a system for for barrel aging now, or is it still kind of like debated? Yeah, I want to say people probably all do their own certain things, and that does go back to the last point too about buzzwordy things or gimmicky things. You know, I had some reservations about barrel-aged coffee, and we serve coffee to the bar at Willet, and so they serve our coffee upstairs at uh, the restaurant, and then they have a coffee bar downstairs where they serve the coffee as well. And when we were first in relationship together, I'd asked Drew, you know, do you want to do a barrel-aged coffee? He's like, no, man, they all suck. And I'm like, you are right. We are not, <laughs> we are not going to do one. But it got to the point where now we do make one for them, and I would, I would assume that we both I think it tastes pretty good. And it took some trial and error. It's something, again, that I thought was pretty gimmicky. There are a lot of other roasters that do it. And I didn't either agree with the flavor of the coffee that I can kind of see through the barrel aging, or it was very extreme. And this is actually a a point that I wrestle with a lot being from coffee, but talking with whiskey folks, there'll be sometimes I'll brew up barrel aged coffees and go to lines outside Old Forester or something like that, let people try it just to kind of get their opinions. And the whiskey people always want it to taste more like whiskey. But the coffee people wanted to taste less like whiskey. And, I, and I, I understand that a little bit. But what's inherently interesting about it is the types of flavors that barrel aging adds to coffee are what we would typically call defects in coffee. So when we're tasting or when we're cupping coffees and we're looking for cup quality, the types of intense fermentation notes, those are usually things that we, we try and pull out because we don't see them as positive attributes. To the coffee, but those are things that are pretty apparent when it comes to barrel aging coffee, which blows my mind and is kind of hard to wrestle with. But yeah, I think that there's a personally right and a wrong way to do it. One of the first times that I did try it, it was for an event that I did with Cork and Bottle up towards Northern Kentucky. So we went and we picked uh, a barrel of Willet, and I told him that I'd do a barrel aged coffee for him, bring it up there, and we could you know age the coffee in the barrel and serve it. So I made some bags of coffee for them. And I made some on nitro. But what I did is I took the roasted coffee and I put it in the barrel to age. And the flavor profile is great. It tasted like a bourbon truffle. So imagine chocolatey, boozy, you know, bourbon. It's nice. However, coffee is porous. When it is green, it is porous. And when it is roasted, it's still porous. And so there's so much moisture still sitting in those barrels that it would make the coffee a little gummy in texture. So when you try and grind it, it would kind of stick to the burrs in the grinder and that's not good and i didn't want to serve that out too and and you noticed all the barrel char would still be left over on the coffee so it brought out a unique flavor but i would still be on the side of doing it in the green so even if you do have some bits of the char that fall off with that generally it would it would burn off in the roaster 
Yeah, but you want the barrel to have, like, some people like barrels wet or dry, you know, when they age whiskey. How about for coffee? Do you want, like, more moisture or less moisture? Yeah, that's what I call a roaster snack. So, ideally, <laughs> I get a barrel in and I will drain it, which is a little bit of a bonus for me. But I don't want it too wet because I don't want it to over-ferment the coffee. And I want it to really get, I don't want a lot of moisture added back to it. So, again, there is a lot of moisture in the barrel to the point that even after I've dried the barrel out, I'll put in a weight of coffee into the barrel and I'll get more weight out and that will roast off in the roaster, but it's something that you have to factor in because when, when green coffee comes to you, it comes with a moisture content. And so you're essentially just increasing its moisture content and burning some of it off, but getting some of that flavor from the barrel still in there. I'm assuming if you have too much moisture and it, it could maybe, could it start the germination process or like, or like a, you know, malting process, for example, with grains, can there be something similar with coffee or is that like a big no-no? Well, when you get to coffee roasting, there are basically three stages that it goes through. There's the drying phase, which is removing the moisture from the coffee. There's browning, so you're allowing the kind of sugars and acids to to kind of do their thing. And then you get into actually roasting of the coffee. So if it's too moist in the beginning, it takes too long to dry, it will do a couple of things. One, it might just taste off because it's taken too long to actually dry out and also what is important during that drying phase is for the coffee to be able to gain a lot of heat to keep momentum going through the roasting process and if it's if it takes too long to do that you won't be able to get good speed in the roast meaning it will take you longer to roast a batch of coffee and essentially what we call bake the coffee you know if you're ideally trying to roast it in 15 minutes and it takes you 22 minutes it's just sitting on the heat too long you might not think it's it's a big deal to leave a steak cooking for 40 minutes on low (laughs) but you know that when you cut that steak open you're not going to enjoy it by the way quills has an amazing coffee roaster that's right yeah Yeah. cameron he's uh he joined us last year was a home roaster prior to coming to work with us and uh great knowledge good guy interested in whiskey not all that worse versed in it, but he likes Wild Turkey 101, so yeah, hey, good awesome. start. Good start. Not too bad. You know, when it comes to when you, when I'm on vacation, I like to put a little whiskey in my coffee. I don't like to have that uh, at home. I'd like to kind of ask everybody at the table what, you, except for kids. Yeah, I was like, uh, what, whiskey, what's your what's your what's your favorite whiskey to put in a coffee? Mine. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I. I mean, don't make fun of me, but I, I really like the bourbon creams in my coffee. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just, I like it. That's what I was going to say. The Barton yeah, that, chocolate uh, truffle the, the, one. Yeah. The Barton one's amazing. And Old Elk has one. It's called like Numbu or Nobu or Nobu something. Or something. Like that. That's, yeah. I just can't, that, I, I can't put cream. I can't have any kind of like uh, sugar or cream in my coffee. Is it the sugar does it or is it the, like the film that it leaves in your mouth? <sighs> yeah, it, it's probably, it, it's probably both. Uh, I'm a big texture person, and I don't really like the taste of cream and coffee. And I also, I hate it brings the temperature down. Well, it's, you know, of course, it's steamed. But I, I used to like lattes. I don't even like those anymore. But oh, that's my jam. But when Maybe it comes that's why to I like the creams, when it comes to like putting uh, a bourbon in my coffee, I love absolutely love Old Forester. In mm. there, it's like an amazing six or hundred or hundred. Well, you know, nineteen ten, nineteen twenty, whatever's on the shelf. <laughs> probably, usually in my house, nineteen twenty. Uh, but if like we're on the road, you know, one hundred. But if that's not available when you're driving, <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I'm driving, I'm a thermostat. Um, 
But uh, just yeah, just a thimble. It's it's uh, a bourbon and a coffee is like a, it's a really nice thing. They call it, you know. There's also Irish. Irish have a little bit more of a. Yeah, it's Mark Jameson it. and some other stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty pretty well marketed thing. Yeah, but I I love bourbon and coffee. Yeah, I I'm still unlike you with the creamer. I mean, you give me some caramel macchiato, international delight, and it's it's sixty percent international delight and forty percent coffee. I don't know. <laughs> I just I'm a I got a sweet tooth. Yeah, I get it. There's also probably a little bit like I don't feel so hot. Like you know, like coffee does not impact me. Like I can have five cups of coffee in a day and two before I go to bed and have no issue sleeping whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That's and, amazing. And, and like, and, and my whole thing with coffee is like, you know, I'd have to give, get up at three o'clock in the morning in the army to go do guard duty or something. And that's hard to do. Like you just don't magically wake up. So I'd drink army coffee to get me through that. And uh, that is the absolute worst coffee you could possibly ever put on your lips. It's from like liquid, and some of the stuff is from the Vietnam era. That's how long they've had it around. It's just awful. It's what? like gas station coffee. Oh, it's been no, there for twenty four hours. Gas station coffee <laughs> is like freaking quills in comparison to <laughs> like you have. I mean, I probably still have bits and pieces of army coffee still in my body fit all these years later. But uh, I, it's probably difficult for you to say. But what is the worst cup? of coffee you've ever had oh gosh it might be that civet coffee the cat that poop I, one. it might be the cat poop one no <laughs> but it's hard to say i mean we gosh that's a good question i don't know there there are very few cups of coffee i've had that have been repulsive so yeah you're talking i got a question about you're talking about nitro and cold burr and this and that like what is it about coffee and being cold that you have to do something different you know to make it a cold brew or whatever and ice something yeah i don't even think it's that you have to do something i just think it's you know there are a bunch of different methods of which you can make coffee what's been neat in regards to cold brew for people drinking is that if you brew it with cold water over an extended period of time you get lower acidity for for the most part and so a lot of folks that's one thing they don't like about coffee is that it's bitter maybe it's acidic and so if you let that sit then it's just chocolatey it's rounded and so cold brew got really popular you can batch it in really big sizes and then at that point i think people were just like well what the heck do we do with it now that's kind of boring let's add some bubbles let's add some carbon what is it what is it the co2 CO, let's add co2 oh is that let's all add, nitro is is adding well not so nitro would be um Adding in NO2, nitrous oxide, nitrogen. Yeah. So, so adding nitrogen to it. So more like a Guinness, you get that kind of lighter uh, textured bubbles to it. Uh And uh, then if you were to put it on carbon dioxide or CO, if you were to put it on CO2, it it would get kind of like a, like a flat soda. You don't really want that, that kind of bite that comes with it, unless you would add sweetener or something like that to it. Some sweet cream or some. Yeah, and I've got kind of like one question to kind of like start wrapping this up and kind of bring it all a little bit back to bourbon as well. Is you know we talked about sort of those those very rare type of beans that cost a lot of money. We've talked a little bit about how marketing plays a big effect into this as well. We all know that half of whiskey is really marketing because it's a lot of the same raw materials and how you make it and then how you can sell it. And I'm sure coffee is the same exact way is that there's big brands and there's other brands that just have to get their name out there, even though it could be the greatest product in the world, unless you have great marketing, great sales, that's, that's what it's going to get. 
Uh, the other part I actually kind of forgot about with all this is I know when people are tasting, you usually kind of like have some coffee beans to the side or espresso beans to kind of reset your palate. You know, you kind of huff it in real quick yeah. and then and you kind of set it to the side. But my question is really geared towards, is there a secondary market in coffee? You know, I have not seen one to my knowledge. That's a good question. And, I, and one I feel like I've thought about before and then forgotten. But <laughs> no, I don't. I I don't think so. There I'm going to Google it real quick. Yeah, I was about to say, Well, I mean, it? I was just thinking because it's like it, at the end product, the end consumer, like they they own it. But maybe it's just not like that that thing where people are. It's it's not a bunch of hundred dollar cups of coffee that everybody's kind of going after. Like that's a very specialized thing, and and maybe whiskey has just gotten to that point where everybody is hunting for that hundred dollar yeah, that bottle. Panama. The Panama champion, does it have like, you know... Well, I mean, I think you see that mainly... You get a in, bag of it, you're like, I can flip it on... Well, that I think the difference is that you see... Like higher bidders, like he, the bids just keep going higher and higher and higher. Yeah, I think it's just that you'll see those in auction lots in order to buy it. And that's what, what might drive the price up. And then the hype around that year over year will continue to drive the hype up and the price up in terms of buying at, at that inception point. But in terms of in the in the closer to the final product... I don't feel like we really see that. And and possibly it's just because coffee, as soon as it's roasted, it starts to to kind of degrade a little bit or or lose how it's like driving a car off the lot. Yeah. Or buying a iPhone as soon as it comes out. Right. There's it's always going to start kind of diminishing in terms of its quality. And so after so much, if someone can't find a retailer that has that bag of coffee or the store no longer sells it, I think they just cry and give up move on <laughs> move on to another one so there does not appear to be a known coffee secondary market but i found a very interesting uh statistica and on the statistica.com uh on some facts retail sales of coffee in the u.s 5.18 billion dollars ground coffee share of coffee retail stores in the u.s 45.8 percent so that means it sounds like more people would be buying ground coffee, then the other options would be single serve or instant or full beans. Coffee consumption per capita in the U.S. Take a guess. Sixty mm, per day. People oh per purse per oh, person. Per oh, capita. I thought you meant like sixty percent of the U.S. Oh like yeah, no. no. Actually... So how many how many cups does the average person drink a day? I'm um, two, two. One point eight seven. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is incredible. Because nobody's drinking just one and doing half and going, Yeah, it's coffee nah. or tea is probably the number one beverage around the world. Coffee has to be like second, right? Do you know? Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Let's go to the Google. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, I think that's probably a good way like, to kind of end like on that. Tea is tea is scotch and coffee's bourbon, you know. There you we're go. coming after you. There we go. That's a that's a great way to kind of put the analogy out there. I mean, this was honestly I I feel like a lot more educated on the subject of coffee. I know Ryan's been begging me for a long time. Water's Ryan, the number one <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Thank God we, we discovered that one. It's yeah. not IPAs anymore. That's so. what happens. You let dumbasses interview people. <laughs> yeah. Tea, though, is is number one. But this was, a, like I said, I was interested to kind of know more about this only because Brian has been, you know, really into whiskey in the, the probably the, what, the past, like, five to 10 years, like you really yeah. kind of went in cool. all with it and you had a history inside of coffee, inside of chocolate. We even talked about how you used to go and you were a panel, a judge on coffee competitions and stuff like that in the past as well. So, you know, you know what you're talking about and I've always enjoyed watching your YouTube reviews because you're kind of like Fred, you're able to pull a lot of these flavors and, and kind of really talk about 
a lot of the things in whiskey that I I would say I was like I can't pull it out. I'm like okay, there's more vanilla and honey and some other things, and then you you're pulling stuff out of left field. I know Fred does the same exact thing, so it's always been interesting to kind of see your journey and, and how you've been able to kind of find a passion in all of these consumables that you've been getting into. Right. Yeah, I think what's interesting about that too is learning the vernacular. You know, in in different industries, I might say it tastes like something, but it translates a little different to another industry, and whether it's related to the char or something like that, you know, that's always been kind of a thunk, funky thing. But when it comes to whiskey too, I, there's, there's a whole lot, you don't hear, see this a, a lot when it comes to coffee, but in whiskey, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, just shut up. It's either good or it's not good. <laughs> and look, I'm not going to tell anyone how to experience, how to taste something, whether they can taste everything. But again, it's just something I do for a living. And I have for, for a while. I just, I like to taste things. I like to taste notes on it. And so if, if anything, I just like to try and stay true to that. So when I describe things, that's really all I'm doing. Yeah, putting in high def, you know. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I do hold my pinky up when I'm making my notes on my phone, but you know, it's, <laughs> it, I just, you know. It's leverage. Last question. Is the coffee flavor wheel different from the bourbon flavor wheel? Or are they? I think they're probably similar. But I th- again, I think they just kind of origin from from different reasons as to why it is. And I say that because I could say something's bready and it might be an accurate flavor note in both, but because of the way things are happening with whiskey, it's usually yeast related or something like that or age related. Or when I talk about chocolate or smoke or something like that, it's usually related to the, the charring of the barrel, you know, things that you might be able to pick up on both things, but you don't necessarily have the same reasons as to why they're there. And I like to try and figure out what are the reasons that why they're there to help me better understand from product to product or again, from, you know, product type to product type. All right on. So if people want to know more about Brian, more about Quills, how do they find you? Well, they can go to quillscoffee.com. We'll have a, a bunch of blends, maybe some of the ones you see here, some single origins there. But if you want to, to follow me online, I'm not hard to find. I'm into a lot of things. You know, check out Behind the Pursuit. You'll hear me there. You'll see my social tags at, at Abandoned Coffee at abandoned bur- bourbon. Essentially, I'm just trying to abandon everything that I do. So <laughs> if you put abandon and something after it, I probably only account. There's no chocolate one. There's abandoned chocolate. Yeah, yeah. there is. See, right on. He's got it. He's got it. Well, make sure you follow him everywhere. Make sure you follow us. Make sure you follow Fred Minnick and make sure you subscribe, share everything. Leave us a review, all those good things that kind of help us get a lot of great information out there as well. And next time you're in the city of Louisville, make sure you stop by Quill's Coffee. Mm-hmm. Ask for Brian if he's not there. Say, and a pour over. Yeah, and there you go. <laughs> really slow up that line. Give me your fanciest <laughs> coffee on pour over, please. Yes. <laughs> but with that, that's going to wrap it for this one. Cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. Vodka sucks. Toodles. Bye.